back for episode 40. Um, we Over are, the hill. That's right. We're well into our midlife crisis now of our video game podcast. So uh, we are back. Uh, Jared is here and uh, Chris and Mike is back joining us again. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Hey, excellent. So uh, you know what we got tonight? We got games. We got games to talk what? about. No. And, uh, heck yeah. So we're going to start just catching up, though, with um, what you guys have been doing. So, Mike, we haven't heard you in a while. What, what have you been playing, man? Yeah, no, I have been gone for a little while. So um, let's see. I mean, I guess the main thing I'm playing was uh, XCOM 2, which I got to finish. But I'm going to be talking about that a little bit more in depth in a little while. So I'll save that. Um, I did try out uh, Lords of the Fallen, which we got as a PS Plus game this month last month something like that i mm-hmm. uh, got five minutes in realized it was just dark souls again and turned it off <laughs> so <laughs> just be going back to, yeah uh and then i have also you know i i played a lot of the uh new uh overwatch has come out with a new kind of halloween edition so um i've been trying out uh having a lot of fun with that and the new little brawl that they has like a co-op horde mode um and then just recently i started playing the tales from the borderlands which has just been sitting on my ps4 for a while when i bought it on a sale so been going going through that so having a lot of fun with that one oh, that's sweet i gotta get in and do some of that uh overwatch with you i haven't gotten to that event yet yeah the um the brawl is okay it's kind of fun but the, it really only lets you choose between four characters and you can only choose one of those characters so like what the one of the times i played i got stuck with hanzo and I, it's like the only character i really don't know how to use so i was like this should be fun <laughs> uh, he's just um, spam but yeah, it's I don't know. It's kind of just you have these random bots coming at you, which is it's okay. But then random bosses do come out, which are like other characters, which kind of makes it a little bit more interesting. But uh, overall, I've just been playing just a regular game. I didn't really do much with that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. How about you, Chris? Um, I have been playing a lot of Souls games, which I'll talk about more uh, as we get a little bit later in the episode. Like a ridiculous amount of Dark Souls. Um. And other than that, not a lot of video game stuff. I'm watching a lot of TV. Luke Cage came out on Netflix, so I watched that. <laughs> Finally decided to join the rest of the world and watch all six seasons of Game of Thrones, so I'm all caught up on that. Oh, yes. Yeah, right? And, there you um, go. But, yeah, um, the only game thing other than Dark Souls that I've been messing with at all was um, I finally downloaded the, the demo for FIFA 17 um, because that's the only sports thing I can get any kind of enthusiasm up for at all. Um, and, I, I, you know, at this point, I, I don't play any of those games enough to know sort of the minutia of what, you know, what changes happen from those games from year to year. You see people talk very passionately about, like, the three things that get changed in every year that Madden comes out. But um, it's it's really technically impressive to see, you know, we're we're in this spot now where the developers have kind of of most you know games have just firmly left the old machines behind, and they're just you know developing everything for the current platforms, and just everything looks better and sounds better and runs better. It's just so cool. So messing around with that a little bit, but mainly uh, kind of all souls all the time for me. How about you, Jared? Um, yeah, I I've. Uh been playing while well, well, i'll be reviewing assassin's creed syndicate um uh I, a lot um and i'll be reviewing that as well as the jack the ripper dlc uh but just recently i have returned to the souls games as well um i just the other night started playing dark souls 3 and uh oh my god i'm so happy to be back like <laughs> I'm, t- I'm two bosses in and um uh 
it's just it's the, the, the you know the feeling of exploration is just so much fun the trepidation that comes with that and the exhilaration these games mike we're gonna get you to play bloodborne i'm telling you and and you're gonna end up liking it and uh i'm sure I, that's around the same time that you like xcom too uh i think it's much more likely actually that you would like bloodborne no, believe yeah. it or not but um I've really been liking it so far already again. Uh, so I'll be, I'll be getting pretty deep into that. And um, I'm sure Chris and I'll get into some of the co-op elements and probably talk to you guys about that at some point in the future. But so who, did you, who did you end up playing as the second boss? I'm just curious because there's some flexibility there. Oh, um, I don't remember their names. Some giant dog beast. The giant dog beast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vort. Okay, I don't know who you're talking about. There you go. Yeah, I don't remember their names. Cool. And, cool. With, and with immediately following him, I open the door past them, and then it goes to a dead end. It says, race the banner to move on. I'm like, I don't have a banner. Oh, you'll get there. Um, I, I actually found it, but yeah. <laughs> but that was that was really big letdown. Where I'm like, yes, I have defeated him. New area. I can't access this area. But I, I figured it out. So, um, But yeah, so I'll be, I'll be doing a lot of that coming up. But I will be reviewing Assassin's Creed here shortly. Um, for you guys as well so i'll come back around so mike um playing his fancy laser space chess uh, <laughs> tell us about xcom 2 before i do that i just have to say how just randomly hilarious i think it is that chris is really into fifa games <laughs> i just if we were going to do another one of our little punishment episodes like i would almost consider that as a punishment game for him and yet <laughs> for some reason he oddly loves them and I, I get a kick out of it i don't know why no, make him play the other sports games. I don't want to kill him. That's I, know. The thing. I think I think what I've determined is that sport has uh, a few enough rules that I feel like I can actually wrap my head around all of it and understand it all the time, which I have trouble with with some of the other sports. So that might be part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's fun. But uh, admittedly, yeah, a little weird. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Anyway, on to my, my laser space chest. So yeah, I got a hold of uh, XCOM 2. Uh, I, I pre-ordered and picked it up. I, I played through the first XCOM, loved it. Uh, didn't play through the weird offshoot that came out a little while ago, but that was because I heard it was it was horrible. Was so the bureau? Yeah, the bureau that declassified whatever yeah. thing. Well, that was like more of a shooter, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of like Mass Effect. Is it basically yeah. everybody said they tried really hard to be like Mass Effect, but failed miserably. So there was that Mass <laughs> Effect. X- I mean, you're going to have to play that at some point and report back to us. That's like. It sounded amazing to me, like, oh my gosh, XCOM meets Mass Effect? Like, how could that go wrong? But apparently it went wrong in a lot of ways. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I picked up XCOM 2. So um, the story is kind of interesting because for any of you that played the first XCOM, of course, you had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, at the very end, you, you know, vanquish the foes of these invading aliens, or at least apparently so you think. Because uh, it appears that the the aliens had a little kind of a, a backup strategy for uh, just in case the humans were able to fight back and were able to implement it into actually being able to take over the world. Um, so this uh, the storyline for XCOM 2 takes place 20 years after that day. Um, and even the world is kind of celebrating this holiday that they've made when the aliens came and kind of they don't really they basically took over but they make it sound like it's so happy and joyful but a lot of that is because the aliens are in charge um so uh if you got to play the expansion of XCOM, which was the enemy within you met up with a group called advent and this was a group of humans who supported the aliens and actually wanted them to to come in and take over and they were even kind of splicing themselves with alien dna in order to battle against uh, the XCOM forces. So with the help of these Advent guys, uh, you know, the aliens have taken over and Advent is now their main kind of force on the ground 
there's these genetically modified soldiers that are kind of keeping the peace and, and all this kind of stuff. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, the, the dictator's taken over and everything seems all happy and grand, but it's really not. You know, it's all just kind of this veil hiding all the dark, evil stuff that's happening behind the scenes. So um, <clears throat> XCOM, of course, has now become more of a, a guerrilla force. Uh, you're this resistance, basically, who's trying to uh, get the the aliens, uh, you know, out of there and kind of take back over the Earth. So uh, once again, you're playing the commander who's uh, in the, in charge of XCOM. Hopefully, he'll get a, he'll actually get the job done this time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you uh, basically your main goal is is that the aliens are working on something that you find out that's called the Avatar Project, and your main goal is to stop it from happening because it's going to you know involve them completely taking over and eradicating the world or whatever. So, uh, and that's, there's this nice little, uh, timer that's basically on the top of the screen while you're playing and it slowly blips. There's all these little squares and they fill in as the aliens move closer and closer towards succeeding their goal. And as you do certain objectives, it reduces that. So the, it's kind of like a battle against the clock, but you do, it, it's never really, I never really felt pressured because you can do, it's really easy to keep that clock down. Um, I will say an interesting thing is is uh, this game is a little bit more story driven than the first one. Um, just the story is a little deeper, and there's a lot more cinematics. Um, so that was actually kind of a nice change to it. Uh, it it allowed a lot of the characters that exist inside your base that you run into, like your scientist and your engineer and stuff, uh, to have a little bit more of a, a spotlight, which was kind of cool. But uh, it, speaking of your base, so it, uh, in the original XCOM game, you actually had a, a home base where it was this large structure where you could build all these different buildings that all did all these different tasks and helping you build up your forces to, to send out to fight. Uh, in this one, the, the base is quite a bit smaller. It's actually a, a giant airship that's called the Avenger. Um, so it's a lot smaller, a lot less rooms to build into, um, but they actually give you a lot less uh, stuff to build. When I first saw it, I was kind of thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be a, a heck of a lot more simplified. But then when you actually get to the part uh, where you're building, what you're really building up is your resistance network. Uh, so that is a little bit more in depth and complicated. But uh, the, so the Avenger flies around to all these different places. So you do still have kind of a home base where uh, you can, you know, recruit new uh, staff for your Avenger. You can uh, buy extra little upgrades and things like that. But otherwise, you're actually flying out to the different countries because rather than shooting up uh, satellites to watch over them like you did in the first game in this one you're actually contacting making contact with the local resistance and basically setting up a network uh in, in order for them to communicate to you when there's alien attacks or uh supplies that can be plundered or something by your team so uh it's it's kind of interesting it adds a whole new time element because of course you're having to consider i have to fly over here to do this and then fly here to do this um and there's a lot more of scanning involved which can take several days so that's also something you have to take into account for time so, um, yeah, I mean, that's basically, you know, there's, you have the whole world map that you're flying around and looking for different kind of things, whether, like I said, setting up, uh, resistance networks, looking for supplies. Um, also on the map, it'll show you where different, maybe, uh, guerrilla missions are, any main missions. Uh, there's different facilities that'll pop up that the aliens create that you can go and sabotage in order to, uh, you know, slow down the avatar project. Uh, all these different things are on there. There's even a black market where you can go and, uh, one of the two main resources that you have for uh, currency are supplies, which end up turning into just money. 
uh, and that you use for, you know, buying simple things and, and recruiting people. Uh, the black market uh, takes intel, which intel you can pick from taking it off of enemy soldiers to uh, certain extra missions will give you intel as a reward. And you can use the intel at the black market in order to, to buy different things, including just tra- trading out for supplies. So, um, you know, there's a, a lot of interest, intricacies in your expanding of your your global resistance network. So that kind of takes over, you know, the simplicity of the base. But um, <clears throat> so, you know, you're running around and you're doing all these missions that, you know, you, the main course part of the game is the combat, which is uh, slightly tweaked. Um, the big thing is, is, of course, like I said, XCOM is now a guerrilla force. You're the resistance. You're fighting from the shadows. So because of that, whenever you start a mission, or I should say most missions, your team starts out in what is called concealment, where the enemy doesn't know where they are. So you can use that to your advantage by setting up ambushes for enemy patrols. So you can position all of your uh, soldiers into a certain spot, and each enemy has like a cone of awareness around them. And as long as you stay outside that cone, they won't see you. Uh, you can even get inside that cone as long as they move over you and you're behind cover and they're not flanking you, then you can stay right next to them and they won't even know you're there. So you can use that to your advantage to set up lots of different traps and things like that. Of course, once one squad member is seen in any way, whether it's by taking an offensive action or, or getting uh, you know, flanked or anything like that, then the whole squad gets seen. Um, there are some. There is a certain class that actually has abilities against that, but I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but that's kind of one of the main things of the game. The one thing I was kind of disappointed with that is there are there is a class that can re-enter concealment, but I, it was kind of like you used the concealment to set up like the first squad you ran into, but then the whole rest of the map you were pretty much just, you know, it was pretty much just like normal. So while it was kind of a cool thing, it, it felt like it didn't really use it to its full potential. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I know like one strategy a lot of people used was if they had a, a, with a certain class that could actually stay in concealment, even after the other squad is revealed, they would just leave them in concealment the whole round. So you're kind of eliminating a squad member, but you have like a scout basically. So, I mean, it's kind of a toss up, but that was in order, it, like really you have to remove a squad member just about just to stay in concealment, which I don't know. I would have liked them to do something a little bit different, but uh it was still an interesting concept, and it goes really along with the story. Um, there are a lot of different missions that you can go on from escorting VIPs to capturing VIPs to, uh, like I said, demolishing buildings, uh, stealing encrypted data, all the uh, rescuing uh, soldiers that can actually get captured. Uh, so uh, lots of different things to do, which was nice. You know, you never really got stuck doing the same missions over and over and over again. Um the map variety was huge. There were so many different land types, and they were also randomized. Um, so you almost never ran into something that you felt was similar, uh, which was was really nice. Um, and, of course, they added in uh, – there were a lot more enemies for this one. Some of them were de- uh, uh, very new. Um, some of them were ones from the original that they had just been tweaked. Um, so that uh, that was really cool. And especially as you got higher and higher further on and ran into these higher-level enemies – uh, it really added a, a lot of difficulty and a lot more uh, strategic thinking because there were a lot of enemies that could pretty much either shut down or completely decimate your squad, entire squad, with a single move. So you really, really had to take those guys seriously and, and kind of plan around them. Um, 
So that was, uh, of course, they made a lot of really cool improvements. Um, and, you know, while you're going into battle, you're going to be bringing your soldiers. Um, there were a lot of really cool improvements made for these guys. Um, one thing was actually the customization. Uh, I heard that the developers were actually really surprised in the first XCOM how much people enjoyed the customization, which there was actually very little of. But people did it a lot. They really enjoyed customizing their soldiers and giving them a unique look and everything, a unique feel. So they amped that up a ton in this one. Uh, not only can you actually change their name, their nicknames, even their country of origins, which you couldn't do in the, the first one. Uh, you can even give them a backstory, I guess, if you really wanted to. But um, there's tons of different, you know, face, hairstyle. You can change the, their armor on their arms and their chest, their legs. You can add tattoos, do all this crazy stuff. You can give them a cigar or aviator sunglasses, you know, just random things just to have fun with. And as your soldiers level up, they get access to more and more customizations, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I get that, except changing their country of origin. That seems sketchy. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Like, they're like, oh, no, you were born in Argentina now. Like, what? No, I wasn't. Well, I mean, I don't know, maybe for some reason. I think it's just because, like, a lot of people like to create, like, their friends or certain characters or whatever. And if just for whatever reason you want to do that, or maybe you wanted to make an all a squad that's all people from your country of origin. I, I don't know. I'm so did saying. you make did you make Chris and I? No, I did not. Oh. <laughs> uh, I made I made characters from other video games. So I had, oh, like, cool. Shepard was in there. And... <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was fun. Didn't want to risk us, Jared. We're too important. Yeah, I see. Yeah. I see. Even, yeah, you know the whole <laughs> permadeath thing. So yeah, there is still the permadeath <laughs> as well in this one. So always keep that in mind. Um, but uh, they um, and there's more uh, customization coming out with DLC as well. So that's more to try out. Having I didn't get to try out any of the DLC yet, but I have been looking at it. I definitely do want to try it out at some point in time. So there are uh, five classes technically uh, of soldiers that you can use, which is pretty similar to the original um they're just kind of tweaked so uh th there's the grenadier which is a replacement for the heavy from the first game so they have a a big kind of minigun and a, a grenade launcher and each each class has like kind of a two tree system and you can pick from either side just whenever you pick one side it eliminates the other one from choices so and each side is kind of you can either go all the way down and it's a certain kind of design or you can mix and match. So with the, the Grenadiers, typically theirs divides between whether or not you want to be more of a heavy gunner or a demolitionist expert. Um, Cause that's kind of their specialty with that. Uh, there's the uh, sharpshooter, which uh, replaced the sniper from the first game. Obviously they're going to using a sniper rifle and then they also have a pistol. Uh, and obviously they're either going to be kind of more of a, a high rise kind of sit and snipe kind of character, or they can actually become more of a gunslinger character where they just use their pistols a lot more, which was, I thought was kind of an interesting one because in the first game, the snipers pretty much only use the sniper rifle. And if you weren't able to use a sniper rifle, they were, they weren't really that helpful. Um, so it was kind of cool to see one that you could use without even really using the sniper rifle and still get a lot of use out of them. Uh, there's the specialist, which was probably one of the, the coolest characters they, they did. Um, they replaced the support character and they actually uh, have, they use an assault rifle and then they have this little AI droid that floats around them with them called a gremlin. Uh, and it, they use that for a lot of their abilities. They can even, if you're like hacking into a computer uh, for the mission for the map, if they're within sight line of it, they can actually send the gremlin to go do it. So rather than putting themselves out into the open to steal it, they can just do it from 
far away in cover, which was kind of cool. But um, their main thing is they can either kind of be a medical uh, character or a, a kind of a hacker where they do more damage to mechanical units or can actually even take them over, which was a lot of fun. When a big, huge enemy squad comes in and you just take over their big, huge mech and start dropping bombs on them with it, that that was always enjoyable. Uh, but there, of course, there's a score base to that, like just like with any other ability. Uh, the characters, like the uh, specialists, have a tech score. So the higher the tech score, the more likely they are to be able to take over a unit. Um, and then they have the rangers, which that replaced the assault troopers from the, the first game. So their main thing is they're an up-close kind of fighter. So you can give them either a shotgun or assault rifle. But their secondary weapon is a is a sword, which I thought was interesting for like a tactical battle. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, just like with any other game, you add a sword. For some reason, like Destiny, it's just for, it just works. It's just really cool, and you don't know why. <laughs> add swords. Yeah, exactly. That's it's swords. That's all you need. So their main thing is they can either kind of be a stealthy character, which they're the ones where they have abilities where either they'll stay in concealment when the other the rest of the squad is seen, um, or they can actually re-enter concealment. So that can be very, very helpful. And they have certain abilities that give them a boost to crit damage or something when they come out of, con- while they're still he- hidden. Um, and then the other side is like kind of a blade master where it's all about doing more damage and being more of a wild person with a sword. Uh, both of those I found to be uh, really fun. Uh, while the, the, all the stealth stuff was definitely tactically very helpful. I had a character that was all like the kind of the sword stuff and he just, wrecked everybody so i i you know a lot that was a nice thing is both sides seemed to have stuff that made them viable in in different scenarios so that was really cool and the last one which is technically kind of a a, a type uh, it's the the psi operative which you know they had a psi trooper in the the first one where they could learn like mind abilities from the aliens this one's a little bit different in that um in the first one you could add those onto a soldier that's already trained as a certain class in this one, once you built the the building that allowed you to train psi operatives, you uh, you had to do it from somebody who was a rookie. They couldn't already have a class. But the nice thing was that there was a ton of abilities that they could learn. By all means, the psi operative was the best soldier you could have with all their different abilities from actually taking mind controlling over uh, different aliens to having these big AOE effect things that just annihilated whole troops. Um, they were really, really powerful. Um, and the nice thing is, is it, it took a long, long time, but you could actually train them with every single ability that was there. It wasn't like you had to pick and choose. It was just, they had to sit there and train for it. And if they got injured or anything, that would slow down the training by a lot. So you kind of had to pick and choose what you were doing with them. Um, so that was, that was a really cool kind of addition and a really uh, interesting change with the, the Psy operatives. It made that a lot more fun than the first one where it was just kind of little extra abilities to have, which was nice, but they weren't really that great. Well, this one, it was like kind of a must have. So it was a really, really uh, interesting little addition. And so, yeah, so basically, you know, you just take these guys out and you're battling against these aliens, trying to stop the avatar project and uncover all the evil stuff that the aliens are doing, uh, you know, fighting from the shadows so really really interesting change to the story you know it was an interesting idea make it, basically making it like you lost in the first game um but it really kind of worked out and kind of made for an interesting way to look at it with the second game but uh and i loved how overall the game was pretty much exactly the same what you would want you know all the things you wanted from the first XCOM were there plus a lot of tweaks that just added to the experience so Really, really great game. If you're any fan of the XCOM series, I'd highly suggest it. Are we set up now for an XCOM 3? 
Uh, yes, there is a huge cliffhanger at the end. Show up and I, I don't want to give anything away, but it's basically kind of a, oh, you think we're the bad guys? Just wait, kind of thing. So, <laughs> so you just have to kind of wait. And yeah, there's there's like a little scene at the end, kind of like at every horror movie, where you know at the end it shows like, oh, but they they're still alive or whatever, something like that. <laughs> there's a there's a scene like that at the very end of the game. So it seems like they are at least from that planning on a third, which I can only hope um, the game did really, really well. So I can't understand why they wouldn't do a third. Um, but yeah, it's, it, they left it wide open. <laughs> gotcha. And well, that's cool. That, uh, try it out anytime you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get it from you next time I see him. <laughs> every day for the rest of my life. If I, I don't have time. um yeah well you know i'll tell you it's funny to hear you talk about that because um you talk so casually and that sounds like such an intensely deep system but i guess they they probably slow walk into it at a fairly comfortable pace i'm assuming yeah i mean the, the the tutorial goes for quite a while and the nice thing is is like i said even though you technically are kind of on a clock you never really feel rushed at all. Um, the one thing, I, oh, actually, I, I, I meant to say the one thing that they did tweak to the the just the the missions themselves that actually did make you feel kind of rushed. There are a lot of missions that have a timer to them. Like you have a certain amount of turns where you have to either get an objective or actually get the objective and then evac all your troops. Um, and if you don't evac all of them, because there's one mission I did this where I had one that was just like one move away from the evac zone, they get left behind, which is not very cool. But uh, so they kind of went off of that from the the expansion had a new element because you could augment your troops with like uh, cybernetics and stuff like that. And you use this uh, stuff called meld and meld only lasted a certain amount of time. It was very unstable. So you had to get to it a certain amount of time before it disappeared on each map. So that was kind of a way that added a little speed to it to make you move your troopers maybe a little bit further than you would have liked or move them into a, a position that leaves them out of cover. Um, so there were certain missions where you had these kind of, you know, turn limits that made you kind of be like, okay, I want to be careful. I want to keep my guys safe and behind cover, but I also need to hurry up so I don't leave any of them behind. So that was kind of a, a nice thing that did kind of rush you at certain times, but the overall game did not. And while at the beginning, the setting up the resistance network seems very big and daunting because you have all these different countries and you have to set up these towers, but in order to do that, you have to build these rooms inside your Avenger that allow you to build those and make contact. And all. It, once you get into the flow of it, it's really quick and easy. No, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I feel um, like I need to let you borrow my 3DS to see what you think of the new Fire Emblem games. Because I think it's a slightly less complicated take on it, but it, it's the same basic idea. And it's yeah. interesting that, that the games that are, I mean talk about kind of the a niche genre that has found its following like that's so great that games like that can find people you know to where they basically you know are are they have to port this stuff to consoles now because you know this lineage of pc titles now it's like no 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 we know it works on these two and people really like this which is awesome yeah no, it's it's definitely like an interesting game. I I mean, I guess you would kind of fit it into a a strategy game, but it's it's so different from a typical strategy game, you know, um obviously in the whole turn-based battle system. Uh but yeah, and, and I mean, I even remember when I first saw it. I mean, I usually don't really like games that have a lot of base building and stuff like that in them. 
Um, but I've always kind of liked the little turn-based battle games. I remember there was a game on the original Xbox. It was like a gladiator game. I cannot remember the name of it. Gladius? Oh, Gladius, yes. Yeah. That was a turn-based combat game, and I loved it. I thought it was great. So that was kind of what led me to this. And I ended up loving XCOM. I was kind of surprised by that. Um, so Apparently my dog does not like XCOM. Uh. <laughs> or maybe maybe she was. does, and that's, she's just excited <laughs> to play it herself. I'm trying to speak <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I wonder too, Mike, is did you did you ever play the old tabletop like Warhammer or Warhammer 40k like miniature games? No, I had friends that did it, but I I never really got into it. And I mean, I always kind of wanted to try it, and I just never had the opportunity. Yeah, that's just that's uh, it's really expensive, and especially if you get into like painting the miniatures, time consuming. But oh I, yeah, I no. feel like that's what this is. Like that's what it reminds me of the most. So. No, and that was kind of how I didn't get into it because all my friends, you know, they had like they built their own like model sets and had all these little figures and stuff, and I just thought that was way too much for me to get into. Yeah, it's pretty big, pretty I... big investment of time. <laughs> so, yeah. well, cool. Well, moving on from that to something pretty stinking different. Um, <laughs> Chris, we just got through. Well, you said you've been playing Souls games, but you're reviewing for us Dark Souls too, right? Yes. Yeah, which I actually, um, after playing Bloodborne, was just so eager for more Souls games that I started playing this, and I actually found it a little rough, even compared to to the original Dark Souls. I felt like, and um, you know, it seems like it's a it's one that there's a lot of mixed feelings on in the kind of Soulsborne community. So I'm really interested to to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah, so uh, I mean, the way that <clears throat> kind of shook out was that. You know, um, Demon Souls was this sort of weird Sony only, like, no idea how it even came out in America because it was such an unknown property that sort of found this following. And then when Dark Souls came out as a sort of spiritual follow up that was on multiple consoles, um, you know, people, that's that's the game that a lot of people kind of came in at. And, and one of the things that I think was really highly praised for it with the world design and the combat and the weird sort of obtuse story that was really deep if you decided to dig into it, but really made no sense if you didn't do that, um, was, you know, people sort of got really excited about that game. And then, so when a sequel was announced, which is weird because I can remember the way that sequel was announced, Jessica Alba announced it on like the video game awards, <laughs> whatever it was at that year, which is this is so bizarre. And um, that totally fits. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, <laughs> When I think of Demon Souls, I think or Dark Souls, I think of Jessica Alba. Right? Yeah, who doesn't? Box score right there. Um, put it on the packaging. But um, <laughs> so I, I and I think there was an initial wave of excitement, and then when it was revealed that the the person who was actually the creator and designer of the series wasn't going to be working on the sequel, I think that was the beginning of the sort of tide shifting against this title which makes sense it's you know it would be like if we lived in a world where there was a metal gear game coming out that kojima wasn't a part of wouldn't that be a weird alternate universe that game looks freaking terrible looks really <laughs> terrible we'll talk about that in a future episode but, um so uh, you know the the game that i played that i'm going to be talking about tonight is the same game that you played which was um after bloodborne came out which was the designer Miyazaki coming back to From Software, once again going to an exclusive title for Sony, um, which was pretty much universally loved. And you and I both picked it as our game of the year for 2015. 2015? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, after that game came out, uh, they sort of remixed Dark Souls 2 into this 
new product that you could buy called the Scholar of the First Sin Edition. So essentially where some games like Witcher or oh God name any game you can think of will eventually come out with a game of the year edition, which is essentially the base game plus any DLC that's been released for the games all on disc, you know, for one sort of, you know, premium package. Um, this Dark Souls 2 is a little bit different because the Scholar of the First Sin Edition is a packaging of the game with all three um, DLC packs uh, wrapped into the regular game. Uh, but it also is basically a remake and a remix of the entire base game as well. So it's weird to think that the game that you and I have played um, is not even the original sort of sequel that came out for it. So the game that I played through on uh, PS4, it was also came out on all the other different systems, is the the remixed edition, Scholar of the First Sin. Um, and I will say that despite having spent a lot of time with it um, and finally beating it last night after many, many attempts of beating my head against the final boss of the game, um, I didn't touch any of the DLC. Um, I thought about you know, holding off on talking about this until I got a chance to play through kind of everything. But then I realized that the company has come out and said, you know, this is the end of the Dark Souls series. We're not making any more after three. Um, and we just don't have any ideas for what we want to do next. Maybe someday somebody will come back to it, but we have no plans for it. So I'm trying to sort of like a morphine drip keep that new content <laughs> for myself going for a while. So that's why I decided to just, you know, go through the base game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to review this game and not talk about the other games that are related to it. Um, you know, I've talked about Dark Souls quite a bit on one of our recent episodes. We've both talked a lot about Bloodborne. Um, and this game falls into a weird place kind of at the intersection of that because this this version of the sequel, Dark Souls 2, came out after Bloodborne did. So I don't think you can help but make certain comparisons. I remember reading articles online about you know Dark Souls 2 for the Bloodborne player because I think a lot of people came in with that exclusive title and then said, oh, well, what else can I play? Well, I can play Dark Souls or Demon Souls, but no, those are on the old machines. I don't want to do that. Oh, I'll play this new game that's coming out. Um and I'll say that it is a very, very different game. And and for you to say that it feels feels rough in some ways, I think is yeah, it's a very fair criticism. I, because I think there are a lot of things that make it different than uh, Bloodborne, tons of stuff. But there's things that make it different than the original Dark Souls too. So basic idea with all these games is, you know, this is a third person action RPG where you're making your way through uh, very well designed, uh, very challenging levels to make your way to a final boss after plowing through you know, many other bosses on the way to get there. Um, some people will claim that these games are impenetrably hard and punishing and the least fun thing you could ever want to do because there's no reward in it. It's just punishment, punishment, punishment. <laughs> uh, other people will say these games are actually pretty easy. I don't understand what the big deal is. As long as you play deliberately, like you'll have no problem. And I definitely fall somewhere in the two of them. I mean, I know the message I sent you guys last night was like, as of 1145, I have now completed all five of these Soulsborne games. I, I can die now. I can, I can, I've, I've <laughs> <laughs> I sort of put my stamp on my video game skills for the rest of my life. But, um, but I am by no means great at video games uh, when some genres are, are, are what we're talking about. Um, but um, I made the investment to get good at these games. And, um, you know, what this game has in common with 
the earlier versions of it, or even Bloodborne, is that it is very difficult. I mean, you die a lot in this game, and it's kind of unavoidable. Um, it's very impressive for me that there are a number of people posting these really long YouTube videos of speedrunning the game without dying, uh, without using any health restore items, or a couple of people who can even beat these games without ever getting hit. Um, that takes a lot of precision and a lot of practice. Um, and I'm never going to be one of those people. But, um, you know, 74 hours into that game, I finally bested the final boss. So, I mean, that's, I think, the most time I've spent with any of these games. Um, Dark Souls 3 was probably the shortest game that I played. But, um, I mean, it, it, it was a, a very, very long game. I will say this game is a lot bigger than any of the other games just as far as the pure volume of levels and um, variety of environments it's a much brighter game than dark souls um, as far as just like color palette and light is concerned Um, lighting plays into a lot of the different levels as far as um, needing to go through with a torch because your vision is kind of obscured you can't see very far and not seeing what's behind a corner or behind a door in these games is very deadly so um (laughs) being able to, you know, use wall sconces to light torches. And and with this new hardware on the PS4, I mean, the, the lighting effects and the graphics are absolutely stunning. Um, even though it's, you know, a quote-unquote older game than, you know, like Bloodborne or even Dark Souls 3, I think it looks just as good, if not better, than those games in a lot of different places. I will say that I think of all the games, it definitely runs the best. Uh, Bloodborne, I think, ran pretty darn smooth, um, mm-hmm. which probably was an advantage to the fact that they only had to develop it for one console. But there were definitely drops in the frame rate um, here and there because there's sometimes a crazy amount of stuff going on on the screen. This game runs at a very consistent 1080p, 60 frames a second, which there are not many games, even with this new generation, that can claim that they do that all the time. I think Metal Gear 5 did, which also looked fantastic. Um, So just the play experience of how smooth it is, is just unparalleled. It's fantastic. Um, You know, there's a wide variety of different starting classes that you can play through. Um, I decided for this game that I was going to do my first dex build of playing through... um, using agility and the the ability to be fast and to be uh, dodgy um, as my main thing of um, I spent the majority of the game uh, playing with no armor at all. So it's one of those sort of naked runs that people will sometimes go through, which um, item encumbrance is something we've talked about before, you know, with this game, if you ever have a certain amount of stuff on you that gets your equipment burden up around the 50% mark or higher, it starts affecting how fast you can run, how well you can roll to the point that you basically will eventually end up looking like you're just a fat baby falling over instead of like being (laughs) able to dodge out of the way of enemies. So I never had that issue. um, But I also used really heavy, really hard hitting weapons at the same time. So that sort of glass cannon approach worked well for me. Um, You know, the bosses are one of the things that really stand out in these games, these sort of really set piece like really technically impressive you know crazy amounts of particle effects on screen and you know some of the things that you would fight in bloodborne i don't even know what you would describe some of them at it's like that's like a wet pile of rags that's kind of spitting blood at me i guess i don't know what this thing is but um this game uh great boss fights as well and a lot more of them i meant to look through this but i heard somebody say at one point i don't know if it's accurate but if it's not it's really close there may be um, I mean, Jared, how many bosses do you think there were in Bloodborne, roughly, off the top of your head? Like, 15? 15? Yeah. Yeah. This game probably has about 40 bosses. 
Yeah, it might have been up to 20 with some of the optional bosses. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And I skipped some of those. Yeah, I think there's probably around mid-30s to 40 bosses in this game. It's a long game with a lot of content. Um, but, I mean, that just means that there's more cool stuff you get to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple things that are that make it a little bit of a throwback to the original game, Demon Souls, where, um, you know, when you die there's sort of two states you can be in in a lot of these games um where you're either uh, alive your humanity is restored you're just a person running around um or if you die you essentially come back as a zombie which they'll either call a a, i don't know what do they call it like an unkindled or an undead um or a hollow depending on hollow yeah the game terminology changes from game to game but um in demon souls when you would die and come back as your sort of zombie self your hp was cut in half so there was a huge penalty for dying in that game. Um, and that's where you were stuck until you could beat a boss. And that's how you got your humanity back. And then you could have the full HP. <sighs> again. Um, later games kind of did away with that. But Dark Souls 2 brings it back in a way that I can't decide if it's better or if it's worse. But every time you die, your HP gets a little bit lower when you come back. So it's not only are you being punished by getting beat and dying, but when you come back, you're weaker than you were the time before. And I think eventually that can cap out to uh, like 50% of your original health, like the original game. But um, there are some other ways and I'm trying to remember uh, what it was. I think uh, there's, you can invade other people's games and um, accumulate what's known as sin in the game. And if you sin, um, you can have your HP whittled down even farther to where you can end up having to play the game with 10% of the original health that a regular player would. I mean, just an absolutely insane like thing that you would have to play through. Um, but uh, bonfires, which are the way that you kind of you know, help heal yourself up are way more plentiful in this game than in any of the other games. And I think because there are so many safe points is essentially what they are. There's so many more of them. The areas between the points are a lot harder than in the other games. So I found, and it seems to be the general consensus that this game is even more difficult than Dark Souls, which was very difficult. Um, but there are some things to help kind of mitigate that uh, that thing that's weird. Um, one of the changes that I, that, um, I had forgotten about, I remember reading about when I, the game first came out, was that, um, and I'm interested to get your take on this, Jared. So, you know, when you get to these bonfires, these save points, you have to kind of do this risk-reward thing of, you know, you want to rest at the bonfire so you can replenish your your health items, you know, kind of save your game but it will then respawn all the enemies in the world. So, you know, you're like, well, guy just, you know, made it through this gauntlet and now they're all back again. So, uh, okay, well, um, the good part of that was that there were farming opportunities if you wanted to farm enemies for items or for souls. In this game, um, all of the enemies except for the bosses will only spawn a maximum of 12 times. So if you end up playing through more than 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 times through an area, some of those enemies that you're consistently killing will start disappearing, which on the one hand sounds great because all of a sudden this room where I had to fight these two giant knights, they're gone. So I can just run to the next room. But as you get into the late game and I start realizing, oh, I'm kind of running low on, you know, these healing items or I'm kind of running low on fire bombs or arrows, you'll go back to where you would farm that and go, oh, God this place is empty now (laughs) they're they're gone and there's no way to bring them back you can um you can throw these things called bonfire ascetics into the bonfire to make the level harder and that'll bring the enemies back but then 
you have to consider whether that's worth it or not. Like, okay, do I want to make this even more difficult than what was so difficult that I had to play through it 15 times just to get through? That's why the enemies are gone. So there is this new sort of fun, quote unquote fun, if you like this kind of thing, um, aspect to kind of play with with that. But I mean, just a fantastic game, a really, really big, big, big game. Um, I can't wait to kind of go back through the DLC. Um, Jared, I, I really like at some point for you to to go to that Bloodborne DLC because it is just sort of mind-blowingly awesome. And I can't complete it. There's two bosses at the end that I, I just can't beat. And I've tried co-oping with people and I've tried bringing in high-level characters and I just, I can't get through it. And part of it is because I didn't play that DLC until New Game Plus. So it's even harder than it would normally be. So I, the the answer is probably that I need to just roll a new character from scratch and try, you know, doing it at a lower level. Um, but uh, one of the things that this game does, which some of the other games will later do, as you will find out, is that um, once you complete the game, you have the option to go on to New Game Plus where everything goes higher and gets harder, or you can just keep playing through your normal playthrough. Um, which always feels weird to me in games where you're just kind of leading up to this world changing event. And then when the game's over, you just like your shepherd back on the deck of the Normandy again, like, wait a second, I just died. Like <laughs> the, whole, the whole universe just changed. And Oh, I guess I'm back on the deck of my ship feels very gamey, but um, that will mean that when I decide to go back to the DLC, I don't have to play through the whole game again in order to get to it. Um, which once I decide to get around to the DLC for the original Dark Souls, I am going to have to play through that game again because you can't access the DLC until about 20 hours into the single-player single, single player campaign. <laughs> so another thing that they decide to make hard for you again. But I mean, um, this game, I had a, a super fun time with it. I didn't spend as much time with PvP in this game as I did with Dark Souls 3, uh, just because it's a little more obtuse. I didn't understand the systems as well, and it's been so long since the game came out that anybody who's looking to invade or do any kind of PvP stuff is so high level at this point that there's just no way for me to be competitive. But um, I will kind of wrap up this little review of this particular game with a story of something that happened, which I think is just... It's a perfect little ribbon to put on why I love these games so much and why I think they're kind of amazing. So um, towards the end of the game, in order to access where the final boss is, you have to go through another boss room, because of course you do, where mm -hmm. you're fighting two bosses at the same time, which is one of the most evil things that these games will sometimes do to you. And they're, they're just as hard as any normal boss. There just happens to be two of them fighting you at the same time. So... I say, okay, the probably the right way to go through this is see if I can find somebody to play through it with me. So I'm, you know, looking through my items to kind of see if anybody's making themselves available for co-op, which is one of the things you can, there's an item called the white soapstone and you draw a little thing on the ground and you, um, you can, you know, see if you can bring people in. Well, this game has been out for a while and maybe there's not a lot of people just hanging around waiting to do co-op and there's no sort of, uh, friend matching through your party or anything like that. I mean, that's all the souls games are like that. So um, I said, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to have to keep hitting my head against this as I'm trying to beat these bosses, which are essentially impossible and I'm not getting anywhere with it. I end up getting invaded by another person at the same time. So I'm like, this is fantastic. This is why I'm trying to make progress in this. And some guy comes in and just wants to smash my head in. So I'm running around in circles through this castle, just trying to stay from this guy and i'm throwing out my little emotes like waving no 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 like please go back to your world and leave me alone like i am not a threat to you 
Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. That's essentially, there's no chat. So you have to use these emotes to basically say like, I'm like trying to bow to this guy like Wayne's world. Like, I'm not worthy. Leave me alone. And he's still following <laughs> me around. So finally he backs me into a corner and I kind of have to put my shield up and tank a little bit. And I think I got like a hit or two on him and he smashes his giant hammer on my head and I'm dead. I'm like, well, perfect. So as I'm going back to my next little playthrough, a uh, little message pops up on my screen. GG, good game, which I could interpret as he actually thought that was fun and funny, or it's that like snarky thing that people do in games like Overwatch where they're just trying to add insult to injury and haha, good game, noob, you suck. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I was like, well, you know what? Let me write back to this guy because um, I've gotten messages like these in the Souls games before. And I said, um, do you want to co-op? I'm having a lot of trouble with these two guys because <laughs> he, he knew where I was in the game. That's where he invaded me. He's like, yeah, sure. I'll show up. No problem. Um, the way that it, uh, matching. Your yeah, style, I don't know uh, if I would have trusted that right away. <laughs> well, here's the way this works in this game. So um, and Jared will get more into this with Dark Souls 3 because it gets a little bit more complicated. But, you know, a, an invader comes in specifically with the purpose of hurting you. Um, if you come in to sort of white knight with somebody, um, you can't hurt each other. Like you, you come in for the the purpose of, you know, helping somebody out. So I just sent out like, obviously this guy's better than I am. Do you want to help me try to tackle these bosses? And in this game, the way that you can match yourself up with somebody, which I think is pretty cool. This game has dedicated servers for the first time. So it's a lot easier to, to find other people to play online with than it would have been. So I heard that when the game came out, there's just, there's, you know, little markings all over the place, just hundreds of people who want to co-op, who want to play together, which is one of the most fun things you can do in these games. And um, so he he tells me to go to the main hub town and go talk to this cat because there's a cat and uh, the cat sells a ring and the ring will allow us to, to match up on the same server. So that's pretty cool. So eventually shows up and um, says, all right, let's make a shot at this. And we go into the boss room and I immediately get one shot and die right away, which then you have to expend a currency in order to maintain your real live person status and not be a zombie. And, and so every time I try to make a run at this, in order to co-op and in order to have another person with me, I have to spend one of these humanity vials, and they're limited. So as I'm going through and dying and making barely any more progress each time, I'm sending a guy a message on, P, on PSN, um, okay, sorry, do you want to try one more time? He's like, yeah, no problem. Uh, okay, sorry, I got, I, I do, should I do a different weapon one more time? Like, yeah, no, no problem. So this guy has the patience to sit with me for like 25 minutes as I just die and die and die and die. And um, so finally I send him a message and I'm like, okay, I'll meet up with you at the boss door. This is my last humanity. Um, let's make one more run of it. We'll basically get lucky. Um, and then when I spawned at the door that time, um, instead of following me through, he starts smashing his hammer or whatever he's using into a column nearby. So it's making this banging noise and I don't know what it is. So I turn around and he's like running around in circles over this like glowing thing. And basically he drops a couple bags that were filled with the humanity vials that I need to keep playing co-op, which are a very valuable item in the <laughs> game. He dropped five of them on the ground so that I could keep playing with him. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And so I picked that up and I think two more runs into it, we beat the boss. And I was just dancing around my living room, standing up, beating the boss like Jared and I have talked about. I get up off the couch every time I make a, a good victory in one of these games. And it's super cool because this guy's like bowing and waving. And so I send him a message like, oh, thanks so much. Now I have to figure out where to go next. He sends me a message back. Oh, you need to go fight the giant lord and blah, 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 blah. So 
I think one of my favorite things about this game is this crazy community of people that has mm-hmm. formed around it. And it's probably the only gaming community that I've ever felt like I was actually a part of. Um, and that, you know, some communities are really toxic and nasty. Some are really great. And people you know, form clans and guilds who've been playing Warcraft together for 10 years at this point, but I've never had anything like that in a game for me. And this is the first time I've had that sort of thing. So in addition to the game itself, you know, I've mentioned that book that I read about dark souls, you died, which I can't recommend enough to people who are interested in this, the, um, the podcast that I've been trying to get Jared to listen to bonfire side chat goes <laughs> through all of these different games. And it's actually funny. Um, I didn't know whether I needed to play the DLC or not. So I just sent the hosts of that podcast, like help. I don't know what to do. And they wrote back to me and said, no, no, you're fine. Like you don't have to go to new game plus just to skip the DLC. If you want for now, you're cool. Um, uh, and a couple other people you guys need to know about on YouTube for anybody who are listening. There's a guy named Peeve Peverson, which I don't think is his real name. Um, he's kind <laughs> of the PvP master for all these games. So if you're interested in learning about anything about PvP, um, one of the things that people will do is kind of a nasty trick in these games is they'll keep their level really, really low. They won't upgrade, but they'll upgrade their weapons. And the way that invaders get matched to people that they invade is based on your level. So they'll purposefully keep their level really, really low, even though they're a super high skilled player with really, really strong weapons to basically just go in and gank new players and just make their lives miserable. So this guy's job that he basically goes and he, he searches out gankers in this game and makes their life miserable so he goes through to it to go help out people who are being invaded and kill the bad guys that are trying to troll them which i think is just so awesome so <laughs> he's, he's worth checking out there's a guy named lobos jr who um it does the most insane runs on the game ever so he'll stream himself playing through the entirety of dark souls literally with one hand tied behind his back um he's beaten the game using nothing but shooting arrows in the first person mode he's beaten the game by um you know he's done those crazy never get hit runs um you know don't respawn you know soul level one don't upgrade anything um he beat the game using a dance dance revolution pad a guitar hero controller um (laughs) and then programmed uh voice commands into a pc and beat the game using nothing but voice commands so just insane like playthroughs that you can see of this guy uh and then uh somebody named vadi vidya uh who's an australian guy who makes lore videos which i know jared started dipping his toes into for bloodborne Mm -hmm. because the story of these games is really weird and really vague but if you really want to dip into it it's like tomes and tomes and tomes it would be like if we decided to actually read all the grimoire cards for destiny um that kind of thing like there actually is a really deep story there so he makes these little stories about the npcs and about the world and about the characters that help flesh out the world so I, I i hand to anyone interested all of these resources to kind of help people see why i like these games as much as i do and why they are firmly 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 like my favorite series of games ever at this point And my final judgment that I will pass on them is the ranking of how I consider these games, which is going to be different for everybody. Favorite game is Dark Souls. Second favorite, Bloodborne. Number three, Demon Souls. Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3. So that's the ranking I'm going to put all those games in. So different people will have different feelings about that. But yeah, it's kind of weird. Like I don't have any more of these games to play now, but they're sort of infinitely replayable. So I'll be able to go back to them. So my my wish for Santa this year is that some deal will get worked out that Sony is able to re-release 
like a remaster of Demon Souls and the original Dark Souls because I would love to play those games with better frame rate and better graphics. But I don't know. For now, I guess I can't complain. So no. that's my rant. <laughs> no, that's really interesting that Dark Souls 3 is at the bottom of your list because that's uh, that was been very highly touted. And in fact, I know you loved it. So that's really my interesting. Game of the year, and I did. I, I mean, well, I can't say that it's my game of the year yet at this point, but it probably will be. Spoilers. Um, and I I loved it. I thought it was absolutely great. But I think those other games might have even been better so only says good things about those games doesn't say bad things about dark souls 3 right uh, that's really interesting it's really cool um and yeah to jump back to what you said about um whether it's good or bad the enemies potentially not responding in my estimation that's bad i i, I don't want to feel like i don't have a limitless number of souls yeah um so that at least at least i know that i can grind my way to victory at some point if i have to you know well, and it's like that thing where, you know, in any of those games where you, if you end up having to go revisit an earlier part of the world, even regardless of your sort of level, because a lot of the enemies will scale in difficulty with that, you go through and just wreck shop in those areas that uh-huh. initially you just beat your head against for hours because you just get better. So, yeah, the fact that you have a limit on how many times you can go back to that, that, that feels weird to me. And like I said, in the late game, I started going like, oh, God, basically, in order to get enough of those humanities to continue to be able to have have the ability to co-op on the final boss i had to go back and find old npcs in the game that i could kill who would drop those items which is like they're eliminated from my game now but oh well sorry you have a resource i need so i'm gonna kill you <laughs> even though you're trying to help me so kind of messed up but yeah it's ah so good so so good so yeah especially I, something weird about that is with some you know some items you get from enemies are just the drop rate is based off luck too mm-hmm. yeah so that's an upgrade yeah i mean yeah de- definitely so i i will definitely t- tide myself over for a little while um uh watching jared do his playthrough of dark souls 3 until the dark souls 3 dlc comes out in a couple weeks which i'm so excited about so um we'll definitely have more information about that when it comes out and uh yeah and for people like maybe Mike, who might be shaking his head right now, and a lot of people who I know don't <laughs> particularly like these games, um, I will say that I think one of the things that is just really, really remarkable is the way that they execute on a very particular style, a very particular deliberate design of what they want their games to be, and where I almost always feel like I'm in complete control of how well the game goes. And that's one of the things that frustrates me about games like that have turn-based you know, things where even when I'm playing really well, you know, the, the random number generator just might not work out in my favor and the enemies on their turn might just randomly get buffed and might randomly crit me. And then I'm sort of destroyed despite how well I did. I don't like that unpredictability that I don't have any control over. So I like that despite the fact that I die a billion times in these games, I always know it's my fault and I know what I can do different the next time to avoid it. So so cool. Oh, I love these games. Yeah, they're 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 pretty great. And you know, I'm looking forward to getting to some of the co-op elements with you on on Dark Souls 3 because I know they push that a lot more heavily. Yeah, and that's um, gonna be a big part of the DLC too. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, so that'll be cool. But um uh, you know, from that to a game that interestingly had no uh multiplayer aspects, um, which I thought was was smart, was uh, Assassin's Creed Syndicate. So we'll be talking about to you guys. And um, you know, they did pull the multiplayer out of this game. Uh, and, uh, I feel like that was a good thing. You know, I, I've never really been a big fan of the multiplayer and, and, and it felt like they, they, 
you know, spent that time focusing on the single player in this game in Assassin's Creed. So um, Syndicate was a really interesting uh, entry into the series. Now, I had taken a break for a while. Um, I had skipped the last two. And I was ready to get back. And uh, there's a lot of things that are interesting. That, But one is that you're actually playing as two twins in this. You play as Jacob and Evie Fry. And you can switch back and forth between the two characters um, at will, with the exception of there were certain missions that you would play as one or the other. Because generally what would happen is they would kind of both go off and Jacob would be like, well, I'm going to work on this right now. And Evie would say, well, I, I think this other thing is more important. And they'd kind of split off. So certain missions, you did have to play certain ones, but you could play either one for the, that you wanted for most of the other missions and definitely all of the side missions. You can be whoever you, the two of them you want, um, which is worth noting because they do actually play a little bit differently. Uh, there are skill trees in this, and um, as you level up, there are certain skills that overlap, but there are also certain skills that are specific to either just Jacob um, or Evie. Um, Evie's focusing much more on stealth and Jacob's much more on um, getting into fights. Basically, just not even, don't even bother. Just walk in the room and kill everybody. And um, it, it was kind of interesting because I found myself when I was playing one of these characters, playing the game that way. But But what was interesting to me is that I realized I was doing it before I had even had the time to differentiate the characters that way. Just the the way that the game was was written, I suppose, and these characters played, I found myself just from a role-playing standpoint kind of wanting to do that, which I thought was kind of cool that they they, they define these characters so well that, that I kind of just was in that mind space, you know, um, where, you know, one of the things you're doing, it's called Syndicates because you're actually building a gang, and Jacob focuses on that a lot. So when I was playing, you know, levels with Jacob, I would literally go pick up some gangmates and uh, this gang you're making called the Rooks and you're trying to take it from a rival gang um, that's already there that's run by the Templars and I just pick up a few of those guys and just walk in the room and be like let's do this boys you know and just send them fighting and just start beating the crap out of everybody because he generally used brass knuckles and Evie had this cane sword and when I played ones with Evie I'd be much more stealthy I'd sneak around the room kill everybody and half the time nobody even knew I was there until they were all dead Um, uh, so it was really fun to have that kind of duality within the individual game um you know this is also uh you know it played really really well um as far as the as an assassin's creed game you know it had all the things it really wanted in there although they did make one change to the free running which took a while to get used to what i think was good where if you just press the run button you will run and you go through things but you actually had to either press um one button to help you on top of it to help you free run and go up and one to help you free run and go down and that really lowered the amount of time that you spent free running in ways that you didn't intend. Ah, nice. Um, which was, which was really nice. Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they, they got rid of the problem of you kind of randomly jumping off rooftops and dying. Right. But this actually refined it a little more beyond that. So you had a little more control in that. It did take me a little while to get used to that mechanic, but it did help. Um, but you also traversed the world a little bit differently because you had basically a, I don't know what to call it. You could, you, you had a, in your, your gauntlet, you had this huge harpoon that you could shoot and then just like, um, there'd be like a line between you and the next rooftop. And you like could, a zip line. Yeah, like a zip line, but you could also yeah. use it to ascend rooftops as well. Oh, okay. Um, to go straight up if you wanted to, but it did function 
largely just like a zip line. Um, so that let you traverse the world a little bit differently as well and more quickly generally, which was kind of nice. Um, although the fastest way to, to get around was to take the carriages. There are carriages everywhere because this is based in uh, London, although the carriages um, were a, a little tough to drive. Um, you know, they've never been the greatest of vehicles in these games, so they're a little tough to drive, but there were some ways you could upgrade your carriages, which could help. And um, this was just a collector's dream as well. I mean, in, in terms of like having a jillion things to do, you know, there <laughs> there are missions to help you, you know, kind of unlock the, the different boroughs of London for your gang. There were, there's collectibles, um, there's these pages you got to collect. There's these pressed flowers you collect that you get unlock color schemes for your um, your outfits when you do. There's helix glitches you can collect, which I haven't finished getting all of them yet, actually. And I don't know what getting them gives you. Um, and uh, just a million and a half things to do, um, which is really cool. A lot of a lot of side missions as well, um, including some. You know, they like to put historical figures in, right? So they have Charles Darwin, uh, Charles Marx, and Charles Dickens are people that you work with as an assassin obviously they get to fight people too yeah no they just send you on missions because they're all just old men okay um <laughs> no they're not assassins they're just uh they're just uh you know like most of your people you end up working with they're just famous people that they you run into because i guess it's fun to run into famous people that's that's be honest <laughs> that's the real conceit um so those are the kind of side missions for you and then uh some maharaja too from india who's uh who's there in the, in the capital, you help him with some stuff as well. So there's just tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff to do. Um, I found the antagonist in this game um, to be really interesting character as a Templar. Cause he again, continues this belief of not only that the Templar way is right, but this character seems very focused on himself being like, I am the savior. You know, if you, you, you know, he, he believes that the assassins are ruining the city by trying to take it over. Um, and he's a, a bit of a psychopath. So he's a pretty cool villain to have uh, going against you. So I, I really liked Syndicate an awful lot. I thought it was very fun. Um, I found the, the storytelling and the characters to be, you know, uh, fairly compelling. Um, voice acting was really, really good. The gameplay was solid. You know, it just kind of hit across the board. Nice. Uh, what do you think your total play time was, just out of curiosity? Because it sounds like there's just so much to do. Yeah, I did a lot. I did a lot of stuff. I didn't do everything yet. Um, We'll see if I do. I don't know. Um, I, I am pretty sucked into Dark Souls 3 now, but um, I, I may go back to it, but I, I'm probably looking in the 30-hour range. Huh. Maybe a little more, somewhere around there, but that's given. I mean, I could have played through this game much faster. Uh, definitely. Um, uh, you know, because of the way I play the game, I got kind of ahead in my levels and my crafting. Because there are a lot of items you can craft to upgrade. You can craft guns and larger, you know, weapon pouches, and you can cane swords and brass knuckles and different armor sets and all kinds of stuff. So um, I got pretty far ahead in that stuff, and um, uh, ultimately the game ended up becoming a little easy, probably because of that. Um, when you start off, you know, there's areas you kind of have to avoid because the enemies are much higher level than you, and you just you just can't really fight those enemies. Um, but when you start to kind of outstrip the enemies in level and your equipment, you start kind of moving through them um, pretty quickly, um, which is good. You know, you want that feeling of, you know, if they're going to have you leveling up, you definitely want to get that feeling of of, of that increased strength. Um, 
so did that really well. But uh, yeah, so I spent a fair amount of time with the game, I think. Um, at about 30 hours or so. Mm-hmm. And you played some of the DLC too, right? And then I did. And the DLC is very separate. You know, one of the things that people brought up about the Jack the Ripper storyline DLC before then it was coming out was they said, oh, the timeline is just off for Jack the Ripper to be in the game by about 20 years. Um, and people were surprised. They thought, you know, you're doing London. This is like the biggest mystery in, you know, one of London's history. You know, why would they avoid that? Well, what they did is it, the DLC literally takes place 20 years later. Oh, cool. Um, which is interesting. And you're basically, uh, you're trying to hunt down Jack the Ripper, right? That's why you're there. And uh, you kind of, uh, it's it focuses a lot on Evie and she actually has kind of come back. She's been spending time in India. And um, it has some different mechanics. And the mechanics were fun for this DLC, which is probably like four hours, something like that and i did almost all of it in that time and the mechanics are different in that you have a few new items that you can use to generate what's called fear and there's a low level fear and a high level fear low level fear enemies are easier to fight and they might kind of run off um high level fear enemies will literally just flee from you hmm. and that from the arkham game I batman at this point then, right? mm-hmm. yeah essentially that's what it is and and to be honest the reason i'm glad it wasn't in the the normal part of the game is you know as i said when i leveled up the game got kind of easy this made the game exceptionally easy you just use some of these fear items and your enemies just scatter they're just you know they're just gone <laughs> um and it made it super easy to the point where it was almost like eh, I, did, I i almost kind of st- quit using i didn't use them a ton because i'm like nah no, I'm an assassin. I want to. I want to take everybody down. Um, but you're actually taking everyone down non-lethally uh, because the gang that you're fighting is actually your old gang, the Rooks, that have been kind of taken over by Jack the Ripper. It turns out. And uh, as you're trying to hunt them down, like you don't want to kill them uh, or any of the police. So um, it's weird because there's there's these non-lethal takedowns that you do, and, and if you do them, um, they take a certain number of button presses. But that kind of scares the crap out of everybody that's around you. You can generate fear that way as well. By it's weird. You'd think, you know, the amount of time these guys have watched you just murder people that that would be scarier. But if you kill them, that doesn't scare anyone. But it's if you if you beat bad. them up, yeah. But if you beat them up, that's scary. <laughs> I can't explain it, but uh, you don't need to. Um, and uh, it was pretty fun. There are some sections where you actually play as Jack the Ripper, and it's really chaotic. And he murders the crap out of everybody. Um, there he generates fear much more violently, and um, he's like the. the the screen's a little wonky sometimes when you're playing against him. There's like there's like messages popping up on the screen about what he's focused on and trying to do. Like he's clearly like really insane, and uh, uh, those parts were were pretty pretty interesting. Um, uh, that you do that a little bit kind of jumps in story, kind of like you know what he's doing to counteract Evie, you know, because she's kind of two steps forward, two steps back as he keeps counteracting her as the story moves forward, and uh, um, so it was pretty fun. You know, it, it brought back actually the aspect of, of, uh, having, um, uh, prostitutes that you can use to distract guards that you've had in previous games, because that's a big part of this game, right? Because many of Jack the Ripper's murders were, were mostly prostitutes. Um, if not exclusively, I don't, I don't know. And, uh, so you're trying to help them out a lot as your character too. Um, uh, so they end up becoming your kind of allies in the game and you can send them to distract your enemies to help you sneak through stuff. Um, they bring that aspect back to uh, from some of the old ones. So um, it was cool. It was good. You know, I'm glad it was kind of short, but what, I mean, what it was was kind of perfect. It's kind of short and sweet and a little bit different and fun. So um, 
I liked it. I liked the DLC. Uh, I like the DLC, but I definitely like the main game quite a bit more. Um, you really feel more like an assassin there. You know, you are generally killing people. You are um, not just scaring everyone away all the time, um, which was just a little too OP for me, a little too much. So, um, but all in all, I uh, highly recommend it. Um, really, 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 really fun. Um, and, did Did you feel like you played one of the characters more than the other by a good amount, or or were you pretty evenly split? Um, yeah, I probably played Evie more because I like being um, stealthy. Yeah. But once it got to a point closer to the end that I was just, it was just so easy to take the enemies down. Um, I started playing a little more as Jacob because it was a little faster to fight that way. And then it, it also depended. There were there were some side missions that it worked better. So like one of the one of the the small side missions that you could do, um, and these were scattered around where there actually were these fight clubs. And if you go into the fight clubs, you can earn renown with some, because you can actually earn renown with a bunch of different characters too, and they would unlock rewards for you. So it, one of the characters you'd earn renown with him for it. And then um, you could play it as either, but I always found myself playing the fight clubs as Jacob, right? Because he's a better just straight fighter. And then there's other ones where um, like there's a side mission you can do to unlock certain parts of the burrows for your gang, where you would actually liberate children from these essentially sweatshops which was a you know obviously pretty satisfying to do right yeah and you the best way to do that that those missions though was to sneak through and kill everyone really stealthily um so i played those as evie a lot so uh you know certain missions i would just say okay this one's probably better than the other but i found myself playing evie more just because i typically you know, it's just I like playing a stealthy assassin. That to me is very satisfying. Well, yeah, um, and I was I was kind of wondering, like with with Jacob being not very stealthy, it seems to go kind of against what the typical Assassin's Creed game is. So I didn't know if like if you felt like that was kind of a, a bad idea, or if it just gave you a nice little break, or no, I thought it was fun. To be honest, it's not like you can't be stealthy with Jacob. Like he still has you know, uh, stealth that he can upgrade, just not as high as Evie. Um, she can basically become almost invisible by the end of the game, to be honest. Actually, if you stop moving and you're, you're you, she'd like, it's like a chameleon, she'll camouflage. It makes no sense. But, um, you know, so he can still, he can still can be very stealthy. Um, so you can play, and, and again, Evie too, you can take her into the middle of a fight, beat the crap out of a hundred guys if you want. Just, they're the other, they just are better at those things than the other. So they're not exclusive to doing those things, but one or the other is better. Um, so, no, I thought Jacob played in a very fun way, to be honest. And it went along with his character. His character was very brash. You know, he was he 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 made a lot of decisions that were bad decisions, and Evie had to go clean those things up for him sometimes, you know, where she thought things out a lot more. She was very kind of, you know, focused and everything in its place, you know, and so her decision-making was better, but often much slower, Um to, to like go to things where he's just going to rush head first into things. So no, I think, I think it was kind of cool. You know, it gave you real options for, you know, play this game however you want. Um, Cause there's not one way that's better than the other. It's just what you think is fun. So I liked it. I liked that aspect of it. I thought it was cool that they did the twins. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know that they can do that again at this point, right? It's kind of, it's kind of played out, but I thought it was, I thought it was a really neat addition to this game. Definitely. Cool. What, what's weird is that that and, and we're talking about genetic memory but how, how does that work with the lineage because obviously the only way that you're in a direct lineage with both of them is if they had a kid together 
you just made us uncomfortable. It should that should make you uncomfortable. Because I remember thinking about that. I was like, you're playing well, as them both, which means that they're your direct descendant. No, it means they can go back and you know explore one of the two timelines a little bit differently than they did with the other one or something. Well, like. I wonder if since it's it's genetics, you know, if the fact that they're twins, so their genes are you know. Yeah, yeah if, maybe if, that, if that's why like that's why they made them twins because that's what makes them a special case yeah like, well, if they were just brother and sister like one was older than the other then no you wouldn't be able to to do that but since the fact that they're actual twins that's why yeah maybe. and i considered that and i guess that's a good enough explanation it doesn't really matter does it but i, I just weirded me out for a minute when i thought about that <laughs> i was like that's creepy um and then in terms of, uh, I forgot this, in terms of modern day stuff, right? Because they still wanted to touch on that. Um, uh, you have no real character. They just call you the initiate and you are never seen. Everything in modern times is just video. Uh, it's just um, that not like you're not watching videos, but it's all just, you know, like hot, hot scenes. And, oh, there's no first person. And it's, well, and, and it's, you know, no, no, you don't play any, but anything that's actually in modern times is all cutscenes and it's all from uh, first person. So there's, uh, uh, you know what, that's probably for the best anyway, because yeah, really, this sounds like my dream. I know. I felt like the, the modern times one in the most recent games where it was just a first person and you were this kind of faceless, nameless character really just slowed the game down a lot. You know, ever since they, you know, it's no longer Desmond. It's mm-hmm. the, the modern times one just is kind of just there because that's what it's supposed to be. Um, you know, there's supposed to be somebody running the animus, but I, I think, yes, that would be a lot better for them just to do that as cinematics, get it done over with and back into what you really want to play. Yeah. And, and, and it, it definitely played that way. It definitely was better. I mean, I think even in within the Desmond story, I think in three, there was times when you were, you know, running around some modern times and it just felt kind of weird, you know, cause the weapons just felt so, outdated and and it, yeah you're you're going to stab somebody who's shooting at you yeah it didn't make right yeah sense. it didn't make a lot of sense so um you know i i think it was a good choice you know it gave you some it gave you some modern day stuff because there's right there's a reason you're looking for an artifact right you're always looking for an artifact um uh, a precursor artifact so but it gave you some insight into what they're doing with the information you are gathering and how they're moving forward and, and fighting with the templars so um yeah, I like that a lot more about how they presented that stuff and still gave us some of that for you. So I'm I'm interested to see if, uh, you know, getting all the helix, helix glitches, if that gives you some more insight into that. Because it does, it does unlock, uh, as, you, as you get some of them, some, like, modern-day intel. But I never dig in to read those. Like, it's just too much. So, um, yeah, I don't know if getting them all even gets you anything. I really have no idea. But to find out, I guess I'll report back to you guys at some point. But I really loved it. I thought it was great. Cool. And now you don't have a new one to play this year. You just have a movie to watch with Michael Fassbender. Which, that's going to be cool, too. So that's all right. I hope so. We'll see. Yeah, yeah we'll see. I know. But the uh, optimistic. That's right. That's right. We are. We are. Michael Fassbender's a pretty, pretty cool dude. So we'll see. We'll see what they do with that. But uh, so, uh, yeah, we said games. We promised games. And there it is. That's uh, that's uh, episode 40 for you guys. So um, uh, we'll be wrapping up here. So uh, for us, uh, I'm Jared. I'm Mike. And I am Chris. And we are the Youth Gamers. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, guys. Take it easy. We're live. We're back in the morning zoo. The what? 
You guys are making tons of references. I have no idea what you're talking about tonight. <laughs> That's from a, like, isn't it like a Tampa or Jacksonville radio station or something? Let's see. It's like a, yeah, a cheesy morning radio show thing that seems to be all over the world. Okay. I'm my oh, phone. good. We need the butt. <laughs> <laughs> Dingo and the baby. 